1: A reading from the Gospel according to John. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God from no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, I speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Now that we've heard our gospel text, we take a quiet moment to open our hearts to the possibility of God's voice and guidance meeting us in this story. Whatever you bring to this moment, whether it's much faith or doubt, simply bring your authentic self and simply open up and become present as best as you know how. Let us enter into a moment of quiet. God, we ask to be transformed by your love in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today is Good Shepherd New York's one year anniversary of Digital Church. I think everything came crashing home for me emotionally this past Thursday, March 11th. A friend sent me the Buzzfeed piece, this minute-by-minute oral history from over 60 people from all around the world, talking of the day that COVID swallowed everything. I went back to piece together my own day. I remember being on the phone with parishioner Dr. Tony Coles, talking through protocols and the latest science. A quarantine was announced by Governor Cuomo on the coming Saturday night. I met with my colleagues at Good Shepherd to discuss options moving forward. I even rode my bike to the chapel to film an announcement for the church. I had this great idea that I'd record a Zoom call with Dr. Coles, but that proved to be a technical disaster. After hours at the office, later into the night, literally banging my head against my desk, trying to put this silly video together, David and Kate Gunger stopped it. Earlier, they had filmed a ton of music, trying to get ahead, not knowing how long this would all last. This was before quarantine, before social distancing and masks were like the norm. So to even look back on that first week, it's visually jarring. Well, That night they popped in to say hi, and I remember just laughing at how comical and surreal this entire process was. It was a laugh that covered up a lot of anxiety. I finally finished the video announcement and it had one simple message. We would be suspending gatherings through the month of March. (laughs) Little did I know or suspect that that suspension would stretch into March of 2021, where here I stand looking into the camera instead of your eyes. Anniversaries are full of significance. It's here that we take stock, we review, we pause, we consider the significance of something that has happened. This has been a year under pressure and in our text, Jesus tells Nicodemus that anyone who would see or enter the kingdom of God must be born again. But we all know that to be born is to experience a significant amount of pressure. Waves of contractions squeezing us into a brand new experience. We have had the waves of pressure produced by the initial uncertainty. How long will this last, we thought, Will I still have my job? Will I be able to pay my bills? Will I get the unemployment check? Or will I get the stimulus check? Or will my business get the PPP loan? Will the market recover? We were all asking, will we have enough? How long will all this last, right? What's the science behind distancing and masks this week? What sources can we trust? Who's most at risk? And what will this mean for my future and our collective future? I think we perhaps take for granted the toll that so many unknowns take on us. As we began to get our bearings around the new normal of the pandemic, the summer came. We were hit with another wave of pressure, right? another cultural contraction. The deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd created a cultural tipping point. Protests erupted all over the country. They lasted longer than we had ever experienced in recent times. They disrupted the public consensus around race. And they caused many to seriously examine how they think about racial justice in our country and what they're prepared to do about it. Now, as we turn the corner to the fall, another pressure emerged, the pressure of the election cycle, and it came to a head. With the angst of the pandemic and a racial justice movement on our heels, I think we were all susceptible to scapegoating and polarization, perhaps as much as ever before. We had so much to get off our chest. The debates of the candidates, the debates on social media, and the debates in our homes or on our phones, they left us feeling exhausted and at times despairing of our future as a country. And then there was the election itself the back and the forth of results pouring in, the nation holding its breath, and then it was called. Half the country ex- exhaled, they wept in joy, they celebrated, and half the country was disappointed. And led by the president, many claimed corruption. The pressure built, and it built, until the week before the inauguration, the Capitol was stormed after a presidential rally, and it left many of us feeling as if our republic was hanging by a thread. Now, on this side of the inauguration, most of us seem to have our eyes fixed on the horizon with the hope of a vaccine or the hope of another stimulus check or just some return to normalcy. It hit me emotionally when I was watching a pre-pandemic clip from a news show and I saw how close everyone was sitting together, almost shoulder to shoulder. It was really kind of jarring at first. right? That was normal. And honestly, I can't wait for it to be normal again. Yes, we've endured many cultural contractions, squeezing us to the point of breaking. We have endured great pressure together. But pressure doesn't always produce diamonds. The experience of rebirth has its fair share of obstacles. As Jesus describes the process, he basically says it begins by seeing. And he lays down the gauntlet. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Ursula Mersk, she complained to her doctor of headaches, of back pain and dizziness so bad that she could no longer continue her work as a seamstress. She was in her mid fifties and as her condition deteriorated, an ironic set of conditions emerged. On the one hand, she often couldn't find the glass of water on her bedside table or even the door to her bedroom. She even frequently walked directly into her bed frame. On the other hand, she hadn't lost any of her dexterity, but she could still cut different shapes out of paper with scissors. She could point to her nose, her mouth, her arms, her legs. She had no difficulty describing her home or her pets. An Austrian doctor named Gabriel Anton studied her case. He would put objects on a table in front of her and she couldn't name them, yet she confirmed calmly and faithfully that she could, in fact, see the presented objects. So there was this apparent problem of producing language and a problem with spatial orientation, both problems that she acknowledged. But there was another problem. It became clear that Ursula could no longer tell the difference between light and dark. And when Anton asked her to describe an object, she would immediately reach out to touch it rather than attempt to look at it. Later, tests revealed there was a massive sight deficit, and yet she insisted that she could see. In the end, she lost her ability to see altogether, but she remained completely unaware of this. In the words of Anton, quote, she was blind to her blindness, end quote. See, this condition of being blind to our blindness, it is an apt metaphor for us during Lent and certainly after a year like we've just had. When things are difficult, our instinct is often to protect, to calcify and to defend. We double down on our certainty. When we feel stress with our body, we clench our jaws, we tighten our core, we hold our breath. These are all manifestations of the mind and the body seeking control in the midst of chaotic and threatening circumstances. But is it possible to experience growth and change when we are so buttoned down? Right? Can we change if we are too attached to how we think and how we live? Jesus acknowledges in our story that to see one must change, one must completely reorient or in his language we must be born again. Now, We often think of being born again in Christian terms as an experience for them, the others, the non-believers. We think of it as a one-time event that's firmly in our past if we're on the inside of the church, but this misses the point in the spirit of Jesus' teaching. Jesus is saying here that he's here to help us have life and life to the full, what he calls eternal life. And this isn't about quantity, it's about quality, right? It's not life forever, it's life to the full. And the experience of that life, to experience it, we have to go through reorientation, perhaps some of us have had a definitive change in the past, but the disciples' story of rising and falling, of three steps forward and two steps back, it's enough to show us that we are in constant need of new births. As Barbara Brown Taylor puts, us, put it, puts it, the problem is that many people who need saving are in our churches, and at least part of what they need saving from is the idea that God sees the world the same way they do. Jesus is implying here that we all need to be born again and again and again. But there are obstacles. Adam Grant in his book Think Again examines the conditions of change. As we experience difference, we often wear the hat of the preacher, the prosecutor, or the politician. We go into preacher mode when our sacred beliefs are in jeopardy. We deliver sermons to protect and to promote our ideals. We enter prosecutor mode when we recognize flaws in other people's reasoning. We marshal arguments to prove them wrong and to win our case. We shift into politician mode when we're seeking to win over an audience. We campaign, we lobby for the approval of our constituents. The risk is that we become so wrapped up in preaching that we're right, in prosecuting others who are wrong, and in politicking for support that we don't bother to rethink our own views. Jesus in our story and in this season of Lent is telling us plainly. We cannot see the divine hand at work in our lives and in our world and we certainly can't join that healing work if we aren't prepared to rethink our own perspectives. Adam Grant says we must think again. Jesus says we must be born again. But the challenge with such dramatic change is that we are immediately out of control. Jesus says something I used to think was a non-sequitur, totally unrelated to the previous statement, but later I came to realize its connection. After telling this respected, established, religious leader that he must be born again, Nicodemus is baffled. He asks, how can a man be born when he's old? He either takes Jesus too literally or he gets the image but he feels the restraint of age. He knows the energy and the motivation and perhaps even the social shame of changing his mind when so many are looking to him for leadership and guidance and as an authority. But Jesus says, you are trying to control the uncontrollable. He says in verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is a gentle allusion to Ecclesiastes 11. When when we read in verse 5, Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. See, there's this mysterious and uncontrollable activity of God at work in our lives. And the only way we can allow it to have its full effect is by surrendering to it. This can feel so risky, and it can catch us off guard, as the wind often does, as this year with pressures did. When Kendi was in labor, my wife Kendi was in labor with uh, Gemma, who is now on the brink of two years old, we made our way to the hospital in the Upper West Side. We were led to the labor and delivery room. We settled in, and then things were pretty well uneventful. Contractions were happening, but Kindy was told, or Kindy told me that they weren't that bad, and so we just waited. And as we waited, she said, "Hey, isn't the college basketball national championship on?" And I'm not sure I've ever been more in love than I was in that moment. I uh, told her that I thought it might be. That was a radical understatement. Uh, She suggested that we turn it on to pass the time. And then the topic of food came up, right? She suggested that I order some food from our favorite Mexican restaurant. So I placed the order. We kicked back, we watched some hoops, we waited for delicious food. But literally as the food arrived to the room, a big shift took place. It caught me completely off guard. Her contractions became intense and frequent. I came over to rub her feet, which was kind of my protocol, but the smell of the freshly arrived food was not so welcome feature in the room with the sudden onset of pain. I suggested we throw it away. Not sure how much I really meant that, but I knew it was the right thing to say. And she said, no, don't waste it. Just hurry up and eat it and then get, out of, get it out of here and help me. And I'm not sure how much she really meant that, but she knew it was the right thing to say. So I was like, okay. I need to do this fast. I sat down and I began, began to stuff my face with chips and queso and chicken enchiladas and rice and beans. It was such a weird dynamic, right? I was trying as fast as I could to eat when all of a sudden, Kindy's doctor, a woman who suffers absolutely zero fools, walks in for the first time. And what's the scene that she takes in? A woman in the middle of a pretty intense contraction and her husband sitting on the couch, stuffing his face with Mexican food with the national championship on the TV. I honestly believe my reputation will never recover with her. But the fact remains, sometimes the pressures of life catch us completely off guard. We don't know where they come from or where they are going and we scramble to respond often in comical ways. But Jesus here is driving home that you can't control this process. You don't know what you don't know. And we simply have to trust that this process of pressure, this process of contraction and of new birth is going to help us see and experience a new kind of life. To let go of control, to let go of what we thought we knew, we have to possess a genuine doubt. But in most cases, this necessary self-doubt doesn't feel like new life or a welcome companion to faith even. Often this doubt feels like a death. I love this description from the book Faith After Doubt, quote, I imagine a baby who's been comfortably protected in a mother's womb for nine months. I imagine how that first contraction interrupts her world. The pressure must be terrifying. Then more and more waves of pressure come. Then the fresh, fragile life Uh, feels she is being torn from life itself. She finds herself unable to resist as she is squeezed with agonizing pressure through a suffocatingly tight passage that feels like the end, like annihilation. Then, when it seems like her situation couldn't get any worse, she finds herself expelled into cold, dry and foreign emptiness rather than warm and familiar waters. She feels terrified by unintelligible lights that pierce the comforting and all-enveloping darkness that she has always known. Noise surrounds her harsh and uninterpretable sounds that are so different from the gentle pulse of her mother's heartbeat. She feels the need to do something that she has never done before – to breathe. It is no wonder that her first breath becomes a cry. Birth to an infant surely feels like a cruel end to life as she has known it. It's surely the worst thing that has ever happened in her entire nine-month gestation. But the worst things can be the doorways to the best things. Milk, a tender kiss, a warm blanket with even warmer arms, a smiling face of bottomless acceptance and adoration. Outside the window, a robin sings and the wind whispers of a whole new world to explore and beyond that, uncountable stars. Doubt need not be the death of faith. It can be instead the birth of a new kind of faith. As we consider Jesus teaching about something new being born in us, as we consider our Lenten journey, this pivot out of winter into spring, and as we consider the past year of upheaval and turmoil, Let us ask this question afresh, are we willing to surrender to the uncontrollable process of something new being born? Can we muster the trust that the new light which pierces our comfortable darkness is worth letting in? May God give us the grace to see and to enter the kingdom of God as we surrender to the uncontrollable and unpredictable wind of God's Spirit which makes all things new. And may you have a sense during this march toward Good Friday and Easter Sunday of how God is at work in you birthing something new. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977 or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.